Well, hey, welcome to First Church Live. I'm so glad that you're joining us today for worship, whether you're here in person or if you're online. I know we have people worshiping with us from all over the country, all over the globe. So if you guys here in person, if you would, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family here today. So glad to have all of you guys. And I've been gone for a few weeks. If you haven't noticed, the leadership here at First Church is generous, and they give me a few weeks every single summer to take a break, but also do some planning and some preparation for the future. And so normally what happens is my family, we take about a week of vacation, and then after that we come back, and I'm in the office, and I'm meeting with staff, and we're planning and preparing, but I'm not preaching. And that gives me some time to vision cast and all that good stuff. And some of you guys ask me, well, where'd you go? Did you leave and go anywhere that first week with your family? And we didn't get to take a typical vacation, but we did go back to Kentucky, where we're from, and I got to visit with my parents, and Allison got to visit with her parents, and we got to see our families, which we hadn't seen for a while, and it was a great trip. And so the first Sunday of this study break or this planning break, we were in Kentucky, and I got to worship at Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Here's a picture of my family at Southland on that Sunday morning. We had to wear masks because in the state of Kentucky, it's mandated in all indoor places. You have to wear a mask, and so we had ours on, but I want you to notice that Alice and I are wearing our first church mask. So we are still sporting first church, even though we were at another church that Sunday morning, but then we were able to make it back to my parents' house later on to catch the 11 a.m. service with you guys. We were able to worship online at First Church Live, and that was a really cool experience. In fact, here's a picture of Allison and me and Matt's preaching in the background. We're not paying attention to the sermon because we're taking a selfie, but still, Matt's preaching in the background. He did an awesome job. He really did, but I just want to make a comment. If you were here that Sunday, you know he got emotional and he teared up and cried, and I just want to point that out because he gives me a hard time for being emotional all the time, and I skip town and he cries, so maybe I need to leave more often. It's good to see that side of Matt, honestly, but it was a great message, uh, and we really did did enjoy worshiping online. And I have to say, this was the first time that I was able to do this live because in the past, when we were just online and not meeting in person, I was always here filming, you know? So I didn't ever get to do this live with you guys. And this was the first time I had the opportunity to do that. And it was an incredible worship experience. We were almost 800 miles away. And yet I felt as if I was right here with you guys. I could feel the family presence. And it was really neat watching the service with my parents because they have their own home church, but they've been worshiping with First Church Live ever since we went online. And they were, they were commenting on people like who are on the stage, like members of our praise band and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's the woman that's got blonde hair. Or that's the young girl who has a really good voice. You know, so they're complimenting different people on the stage that they know them. And it was really neat, really cool because... They're 800 miles away, yet they feel like they're part of our church family. And so we got to talk about the sermon series we're in, and that was just a really neat thing. And here's a picture of my family. We went in and we had lunch, then we played outside my parents' backyard afterwards. My mom set up a water sprinkler for the kids to run through. You can tell Alex's hair is wet there. He's soaking wet, so is Addie. But if you notice my parents in the background, my dad is wearing a First Church shirt. How cool is that? Because even though they're in Kentucky, they're almost 800 miles away, they feel like they're part of our family, and they are part of our family. And I just want to say to all of you guys out there online right now who are watching in different states, whether it's Texas or Idaho or New Jersey or New Hampshire or Minnesota, Kentucky, wherever, we have people all over tuning in for worship. Or if you're in another country right now even, we are so happy that you are worshiping with us, and you are part of our family. And we want to let you know if you need anything at all, don't hesitate to ask us. 
us, whether put your request in the online hub or you can email us or text us or whatever you need to do, let us know if we can help you out, pray for you in any way because you are a part of our church family. And as I think about all this that has happened over the past few months and how we're going online and doing ministry different, I just stand amazed at how great our God is because God has continued to work through our church family even in the midst of these crazy times. I mean, we've been able to love people throughout the 918 in new ways like we never thought possible. Whether it's organizing a pet parade at a nursing home for the nursing home residents or it's passing out gift cards to healthcare workers who are on the front lines of this pandemic or it's our junior high students going out for a week of service and cleaning up our community or it's organizing bags, activity bags, for kids who are stuck at home or whatever else. We've been serving people throughout our community in ways like we never did before. And God's been using us in incredible, incredible ways. Not only that, we have seen more and more people worship with us online who are being introduced to the gospel of Christ. And that's great because our ministry is a global ministry. We've been able to support all of our missionaries during this time. We haven't had to drop any of our missionaries across the world because of your guys' generosity. We've been able to keep supporting the missionaries that we've always supported. In fact, last week, we had a dollar drive to help the Rileys in Honduras, some of the missionaries we support, and you guys gave over $2,000 to help out the Rileys, to help them. Yeah, isn't that great? How awesome is that? And we've seen people continue to be baptized and follow Jesus for the first time, even during these chaotic times. God is at work through this church family, and this is an exciting place to be. This is an exciting ministry to be a part of. But I think the reason why God is using our church during this time is because of one word. It's the word intentional. Our church, our leadership, has intentionally continued to live out the mission that Jesus has given us. And we know that if we are going to continue to make an impact on the 918 and beyond, we have to be intentional about it. Because here's the thing, living by faith doesn't happen by accident, but by intentionally aligning our lives with God's purpose. Living by faith doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we intentionally align our lives with God's purpose and His will. Because we all know there is a big difference, a huge difference between having good intentions and living intentionally. I mean, I think for the most part, we're well-intentioned people, aren't we? We have good intentions about things, but our intentions don't always translate into action. Sometimes there's a huge gap between our good intentions and what we actually do. Let me give you some practical examples of this. When I was in college, I decided that I needed to work out a little bit more because I had played sports in high school and I had stopped, didn't have time in college. And so I noticed I started to get a little flabby. Putting, I was putting on the freshman 15 or 50 for that matter. And so I decided I need to work out and maybe, you know, get some muscle or whatever. But I didn't want to go to the gym that was on campus because I didn't want to show anybody else up or embarrass anybody else. So I thought it would be a good idea for me just to work out in my room. So I heard about these exercise resistance tubes that you could buy and you could do this in your home or in your dorm room like me. And so this is how they work. You just basically step on them and it's 
like, you know, lifting weights, you know? So it's pretty easy. You can do this as you watch TV or whatever. I figure somebody might whistle when I did that. But thank you for restraining yourself. I appreciate that. So you didn't embarrass yourself. Anyway, my wife is in the service. I thought at least she would whistle, but that's okay. No big deal. I'm just glad my wife isn't attracted to well-built, muscular men. Because if she was, then she wouldn't have married me. But that's a different story. But I decided I would do that in my dorm room. And um, I was going to work out right there. And you know how many times I use those resistance tubes? None. I did not use them one time. I bought them and I put the box on my desk to remind me to use them and a couple weeks passed, didn't use them. I eventually put them underneath my bed in my dorm and that box sat there underneath my bed for the rest of the semester. When I, when I was done with the semester, I found them. I had not used them one time. I take that back. I did use them one time. A buddy of mine needed to move some stuff in the bed of his truck. He didn't have any bungee cords. I used them for bungee cords on one occasion to help out my buddy. But that was it. Besides using them as bungee cords, I never used them once. Hey, I had good intentions. I was going to work out and, you know, build up some muscle, whatever. Good intentions. But there's a gap between my intentions and what I actually did. Let me give you another example of that. I have here a devotional book through the Gospel of Matthew, a year-long devotional book through the Gospel of Matthew, 365 devotions through Matthew. So you can dive deep into the life and the ministry of Jesus. And a few years ago, I bought this book. It was recommended to me, and I was going to do this every single day. I was going to spend some time in the Gospel of Matthew and really dive deep into Matthew. That's what I was going to do. So I bought this book, 365 devotions. You know how far I got? I still have a post-it on the last day that I did this. Day 24. Out of 365, I made it to day 24. And I felt really bad about that because um, C.J. Epperson, who's our online minister, he preached last Sunday, he was on staff at me at the last church, and he was going to do this too. And I knew he was doing it along with me. And so I went to him after a couple of weeks of being behind. I was like, hey, buddy, I'm behind. I'm sorry, it's my bad. Uh, I know you're probably moving right along. And he said, no, Chad, I didn't make it past day seven. So he only made it a week, you know. I made it 24 days. He only made it a week. And we both end up quitting. Good intentions, right? We bought the book. We paid for it, whatever. We were ready to go, had it in our possession. There's a gap between our intentions and what we actually did. Let me give you one more example. You all know what this is right here. Cell phone, right? These things are what I call a necessary evil. <laughs> I do work on these, check email, all that good stuff. But if I'm not careful, I know this thing can control me. There are times that I'm at home with my kids and my wife, and they are right in front of me. You know what I'm doing? Scrolling through social media. Wasting my time when I've got my little kids, I've got my wife right in front of me. And so I tell myself on the way home from the office, when I get home, I'm going to put this cell phone on my kitchen table. I'm going to leave it there so that it's not in my pocket for me to pull out all the time. I'm going to leave it on my kitchen table, and I'm going to spend some time, some intentional time with my kids and my wife and you know what happens? I get home, I might set it on the table if I remember, but pretty soon I pass by to pick it up and I find myself on my phone instead of spending time with my wife and kids. Good intentions doesn't always translate into action. And that's true about a lot of things in life. Just because we mean well doesn't mean that we're going to do what we think we should do. And what we need to understand is that good intentions are not a substitute for being intentional, ever. Good intentions are not a substitute for being intentional. 
That's true when it comes to our money. How many of you guys have said, hey, I want to do better with my money. I want to save up some money or I'm going to pay off my debt or maybe I'm going to be more generous with my money. And you have these great intentions, but there's a gap between your intentions and what you actually do. You actually never do what you want to do with your money. That's true when it comes to our diet and exercise. We say, hey, I'm going to start a diet. I'm going to eat better. But then you go to the restaurant and you order the bacon cheeseburger and not the salad, right? Good intentions. Doesn't, they don't necessarily translate into action. What about when it comes to exercise? Hey, I'm going to run every morning. I'm going to jog every morning. But then the alarm goes off and you just hit the snooze over and over and over again. And you sleep in. Great intentions, right? What about when it comes to your family? Hey, I want to be more invested in my marriage. And I want to spend more quality time with my wife. And I want to serve her. And I'm going to make sure that I'm there for her. But then you get home and you're tired from work and you're busy. You got other things to do. And you ignore her instead. Well, with your kids, hey, I don't, I don't want to be one of those absentee parents. I don't want to be an absentee dad, either emotionally or physically. I want to be there for my kids. But again, you get busy, life goes on. Great intentions. What about, what about if you're dating somebody right now? And you told yourself when you started dating that person, hey, I'm going to put godly boundaries up in this relationship. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to date somebody in a way that pleases God, and I'm not going to do anything that is physically or emotionally or spiritually unhealthy for me in this relationship. I'm going to date as God wants me to date. You have the best of intentions until you got into the back seat of the car or you were alone in your apartment or house or wherever. Good intentions. What about if you have some toxic behavior or addiction you need to stop. And you know you need to stop. You know it's bad for you. You know it's not good for you. But you never actually seek the help that you need. You never find the counseling you need. You don't find an accountability partner or anything like that. You just keep doing what you're doing and you're just a crying addict who never gets any help. Good intentions are not a substitute for being intentional. And that's especially true when it comes to our spiritual lives. Oftentimes in our spiritual lives, there's a gap between who we want to be as followers of Jesus and who we actually are. And we say, hey, I want to read my Bible more, and I want to be more involved in church, and I want to serve more, and I want to give more, and I want to pray more, and I want to join a small group. And we say that we're going to do all this stuff. But there's a gap between what we want to do and say we need to do and what we actually end up doing. And here's the thing. The Bible teaches us that following Jesus has to be intentional. Following Jesus doesn't happen by accident. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, so be careful how you act. These are difficult days. Could we not say the same thing about the season we're living in as well? Don't be fools. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity you have for doing good. Don't act thoughtlessly. In other words, don't live accidentally. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to find out and do whatever the Lord wants you to do. What is Paul saying here? If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to be intentional about it. You can't coast through life. And if you start to spiritually coast, that's going to lead to laziness, and laziness needs to spiritual sloppiness. You can't coast and follow Jesus. It's got to be something you intentionally choose to do. And that's true not just about our individual walk with Christ. 
It's also true about our mission as a church. If we want to carry out the mission that God has given us, that mission to unleash a revolution of God's love on the 918 and beyond, that mission to love Jesus and love like him, if we want to continue to carry that mission out, especially during these difficult times, we're going to have to be intentional about it. That's why one of our mantras around here at First Church is this, our methods may change, but our mission stays the same. We may change up our methods, and how we carry out the mission, but our mission remains the same. Our mission is still the same. It always has been. It's the same mission that Jesus gave the church 2,000 years ago. Our mission remains the same. But during this time of pandemic and chaos and craziness and fear, it's real easy to coast, and like I said, coasting leads to laziness, and laziness leads to sloppiness. Because during this time when so many people are still sheltering in place for good reasons, and we as a church have to limit our physical activities and programs because of social distancing stuff, and during this time when people are scared and fearful, it's real easy just to coast. It's real easy to shelter our faith in place, something that we should never do. And I believe now isn't the time for coasting. See, I know that we're living in crazy times, but I believe, church, this is our moment. I believe this is a moment when God can do his greatest work. God is not scared of a pandemic. God is still God and he is still on his throne and he still has a mission that he wants us to carry out and he is bigger and more powerful than anything we face in this world and his mission remains the same. And throughout history, God has continued to work even in the midst of chaotic times. And I believe this is not a time for us to step back, but this is a time for us to step forward and be the people that God is calling us to be in a way like we never have before. First church, this is our moment. And that's why over the next few weeks, next three weeks, we're going to be looking at a guy who seized his moment, a guy named Josiah from the Old Testament. Josiah was a king of Judah, one of the greatest kings in Old Testament history. And if you went to Sunday school as a kid or children's church, you've probably heard of Josiah, but if you haven't, that's okay. I'm going to introduce him to you. He reigned over Judah for 31 years. And he's probably most well-known for being a guy who became king when he was just a kid. He was only eight years old when he became king. But that's not why we're going to study Josiah. We're going to study Josiah because he lived for God on purpose. And because he lived for God on purpose, one of the greatest spiritual awakenings, movements, revivals happened during his reign as king all because he lived for God on purpose. And I believe we can learn a whole lot from his example because Josiah, he became king during a chaotic period of time. I mean, in fact, if there was a word to describe the culture that Josiah inherited, it would definitely be the word chaotic. And it wasn't chaotic because there was a global pandemic. It was chaotic for other reasons. 
You see, Josiah's grandfather, who was also king, was a guy named Manasseh. And I really like that name, Manasseh. Isn't that a cool name? It kind of reminds me of Mufasa off of the Lion King, you know, Mufasa. I like that, Manasseh. It's a cool name, but he wasn't a cool guy. He was a really, really bad dude. He was an evil, evil, wicked king. In fact, some biblical scholars will argue he was the most wicked king in Old Testament history. And this is what Manasseh did. Manasseh abandoned God altogether, and he decided to worship the gods of the pagan nations. And so he brought in these pagan idols, put them in God's temple, worshiped them instead, but he also brought in the pagan practices that went along with worshiping these idols. And so you know what was going on in God's temple? Sexual orgies, temple prostitution. That's what was going on, and they called it worship, going on in God's temple. Not only that, Manasseh, he dabbled in black magic, Dark arts, you might say. He sought out <laughs> he sought out psychics. He held seances. He worshiped the stars and the moon, all that demonic stuff. Tried to talk to spirits, that sort of thing. He killed a lot of innocent people. Sometimes for sports, sometimes out of the name of worship, for for worship. In fact, he would sacrifice people to these false gods, to these idols. He practiced human sacrifice. On one occasion, he even sacrificed his own son, murdered, killed his own son in the name of religion. That was Manasseh. And there's this line about Manasseh found in 2 Kings where it says, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. The streets were full of blood from end to end besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. See, Manasseh did a lot of evil himself. He killed innocent people. The streets were filled with blood. But not only that, he led the people of God away from God as well. He led them to do evil. And Manasseh reigned for 55 years. Now, in our country, a president is president for what? Four, maybe eight years? He reigned for 55 years. Imagine that. The nation was a mess, it was chaotic. People were scared. But Manasseh eventually dies and his son becomes king, a guy named Amon. And Amon, well, he was just as bad as his daddy. In fact, this is what it says about him. It says that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he just follows in his dad's footsteps. This would be Josiah's dad. So his grandfather Manasseh, his dad Amon, they were evil, evil men who went away from God. And they left the country a mess. And this is the kingdom that Josiah inherits when he becomes king. Not a great thing to inherit. People were scared. People were confused. Everything is chaotic. And Josiah could have followed in the steps of his father and grandfather. See, Amon, he was so evil that his own officials had him assassinated just to get rid of him. That's how evil Josiah's dad was. And then Josiah's got to take over. He could have followed in the steps of his father and grandfather because that's all he had ever known. That's the only type of king or kingdom he had ever known. But he doesn't. Instead, Josiah chooses a different path. 
Look at what the Bible says about Josiah. We're introduced to him in 2 Kings 22, verse 1. Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Pay careful attention to this. What did Josiah decide to do? He decided not to follow in the steps of his father and grandfather, but he decided to follow God instead. But I want you to notice a key phrase here. He walked in all the ways of his father, David. David wasn't really his dad, was he? No, Amon was his dad. Manasseh was his grandfather. Who was David? David was a distant ancestor of Josiah's. In fact, there were 300 years that separated the reign of David and the reign of Josiah. Think about that for a second. How long of a period of time, 300 years, is our country isn't even 250 years old yet. 300 years between the reign of David and the reign of Josiah. He was his great, 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 great granddaddy. And yet here it says he walked in the ways of his father David. Why? Because Josiah saw the mess that the kingdom was in. He saw the legacy that had been passed down to him from his father and grandfather. And he didn't want to keep going where they were going. He needed a new role model. He needed a new example. And Josiah decided he was going to break the cycle. So what does he do? He goes back in history and he finds the greatest king that God's people had ever had. And he goes back to the time when the kingdom was at its best. And that was during the reign of King David. And King David was known for being a man after God's own heart. And Josiah reasons, I want to be like him. And if I want to be like him, that means I've got to do this God's way. I've got to change direction. I've got to break the cycle. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my grandfather. I'm going to go all the way back to David. And I want to be like him. I want to be a man after God's own heart. And I want to do this God's way. And you know what? That's exactly what happens. And one of the greatest revivals happens in the Old Testament because Josiah decides to do things God's way. And look at what it says here. It says that Josiah didn't turn aside to the right or to the left, meaning he was focused on who God wanted him to be. He was locked in on God's plan for his life, and he was intentional about following God's plan. See, here's the thing. If we're not intentional, if we're not intentional about the path we take, we will default to the path we've always known. And that's probably true for you as well. You were handed some legacy. Some legacy was passed down to you from your father, your grandfather, your mother, your grandmother. Maybe it's a good one, maybe it's a bad one. But you will default to what you've always known if you're not intentional about living for God. And if you want to break the cycle that's been passed down to you, you're going to have to be intentional about it. Maybe you weren't passed down some bad example, but maybe you're just in a rut right now. You're going to get out of that rut? You're going to have to be intentional about getting out of that rut. Because God wants to break that cycle. God will give you the power to break that, to take a different path. 
but you've got to be willing to intentionally follow him because if not, you'll just default to what you've always known. Let me give an example of this. This isn't a real serious example, but it's something that I experienced not too long ago. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are godly people. They're watching right now, I'm sure, from their living room. So, hey, mom and dad, love you guys. But my parents were not perfect people. Sorry. They were not perfect people. They made their mistakes and whatever, just like we all do, right? And one thing that my dad did that always got on the nerves of my brother and me was he would always say these sayings. He had these catchphrases that were really annoying. And one saying that my dad would say, he would typically say this when we get ready to leave for a road trip. And my brother and I would ask him a whole bunch of questions. We'd be like, hey, what time are we going to get there? When are we going to stop? When are we going to eat? You know, whatever, those questions that kids ask. And my dad always had this go-to phrase. He would always say, don't mind the mule just load the wagon. And I hated this saying as a kid, as a teenager. My dad would say this over and over again. I couldn't stand it. And I would listen and say this and I would just cringe. And I told myself as a teenager, I am never going to say that. When I get older and I get married and I have kids, I am never going to say that. You know what happened? Yep. One time, family, we're going on a road trip. Got my two kids and Allison, and we're getting ready to take off. And Alex, he's six years old at the time. He's asking me all these questions about when we're going to stop. Are we going to McDonald's? Are we going to get Happy Meals? All that kind of stuff. And you know what I told him? Don't mind the mule, just load the wagon. In other words, you don't worry about where we're going, how we're going to get there. You just mind your own business. That's what that means. And that's what I told him. Don't mind the mule, just load the wagon. And I remember in that moment, I cringed. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I've become my dad. No offense, dad. I've become my dad in that moment. There's a lot of ways that I want to be like my dad. I don't want to say stuff like that, though, okay? And so I told myself in that moment, I've got to make sure I don't say it again. Because now that it's out there, now that I've said it, I'll say it again, and I'll say it again. And I knew from that moment on, I had to be intentional about not saying it. And that can be said in more serious matters as well. If you were, if you were passed on a legacy that was sinful or went against God's will, you will default to that if you don't intentionally do something different and turn your life over to God. So let me ask you right now, How's the path you're on working out for you? Are you happy with the direction of your life right now? Maybe a better question is, is God happy with the direction of your life? Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In other words, we harvest what we plant. We reap what we sow. And if you plant destructive behavior in your life, you're going to reap destruction. But if you, re- if you plant the Spirit, then you're going to reap spiritual life. We harvest what we sow. So what the Bible is telling us, what the example of Josiah is revealing to us is this, don't live an accidental life. Don't coast, but live intentionally for God. And when you do, when you're focused on Him, and He is the wind in your sails, when He's leading you and He's guiding you, He will work in your life in ways beyond your imagination. And that's what happened in the life of Josiah. Josiah intentionally lived for God. He lived for God on purpose. 
And even though he inherited a kingdom that was a mess, this is what ends up taking place. God's temple is restored. And it's not just that it was cleaned up and all the idols were kicked out, basically. They didn't just kick them out. They destroyed all the idols that were in the temple. True worship to God was restored. The people were worshiping him again in this place. Not only that, God's law was reintroduced to the people. God's law had been lost for generations, but now it's reintroduced to the people, and the people are following it. All the idols in the land are destroyed, not just the ones in the temple, but all the idols throughout the land are destroyed. And when I say destroyed, I mean destroyed. Josiah didn't hide the idols in a closet somewhere. He demolished them, destroyed them to dust because he knew anything that distracted them from God needed to be destroyed. The covenant that God had made with his people was renewed. The people agree once again to follow God as a people, as a nation. But not only that, black magic and all that stuff abolished. No more psychics. They didn't hold seances anymore. They didn't worship the stars and moon anymore. All that stuff, gone. And lastly, the Passover was reestablished. The Passover was the biggest religious spiritual celebration that God's people in the Old Testament had. And there's this really interesting line that's found in Second Chronicles. And look at what it says. It says, the Passover had not been observed like this during the days of Josiah, had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. Do you know when Samuel was a prophet? He was the one that anointed David king over Israel. The Passover had not been, had not been celebrated like this throughout the land since the days of David, since the days of Samuel. God's people were worshiping God again. God's people were following him again. And one of the greatest spiritual awakenings in the Old Testament takes place. And it all happened because Josiah intentionally followed God and set a better example for the people. And as we get to the end of Josiah's life, look at this line here in 2 Kings that describes Josiah's life. It says, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength. Now, that last part should sound familiar when it says that he turned to the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and strength. Jesus refers to that as the greatest commandment, doesn't he? What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Josiah did that. But what I want you to pay attention to is the first part of this. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him. Now, who came before Josiah? Who was a king prior to Josiah? David. The greatest king in Israel's history, David, who is known for being a man after God's own heart. And yet here the Bible says that Josiah turned to the Lord in a way like David didn't even turn to the Lord. Josiah followed God on a deeper level than even his father, his great ancestor, David, did. How cool is that? 
And he turned to the Lord by following him with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. And like I said, Jesus refers to this as the greatest commandment. It's where we get our mission statement here at First Church from. When Jesus says to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's where we get love Jesus, love light Jesus from. Because we want to be a church that loves Jesus with everything we have, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we want to be a church that loves people as Jesus has loved us. That's our mission. That's our vision as a church. And what if we took this verse right here that describes Josiah and we changed the context? What if, in, what if this wasn't said about Josiah? But what if this was said about our church? What if it was said, and never before had there ever been a church who loved Jesus and loved like Jesus as first church does? Now, I don't want that to be our goal for arrogant reasons or out of pride. I want that to be our goal because that's what's needed right now. And that's who God is calling us to be. Let me just have a little family moment with you guys for a second. First church, I believe this is our greatest hour. I believe this is the opportunity for God to work in the midst of this church like he never has before. And the world needs us. The 918 needs us now more than ever. Because there are a lot of people who are struggling right now, who are hurting right now, who are confused right now. For that matter, there are a lot of churches that are struggling right now, who are confused right now. I talk to church leaders across the country on a weekly basis who are telling me just how confused they are and how much they are struggling in the sense of they don't know what to do next. They don't know what the church is gonna look like after this. But here's the thing. This isn't the first time the church has ever been here before. For 2,000 years, Satan has tried to kill the mission of God's church. For 2,000 years, Satan has been trying to attack us and hurt us so that our mission isn't carried out. For 2,000 years, Satan has been trying to snuff us out. And in every season, there have been those who have sat back and have crossed their arms and said, this is it for the church because of the persecution the church has experienced or because the church is experiencing a pandemic or because there's a famine in the land or because there's war or division, you name it, whatever tactic Satan tries to use in any given season, people have sat back and said, this is it for the church, they're done, they can't recover from this. And in 2,000 years it hasn't happened. you know why? Because the church doesn't belong to us. The church isn't empowered by us. Our mission isn't empowered by our abilities and our gifts and our talents and our ideas and our plans. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. And our mission is empowered by him. And when he is our focus, and we don't turn from the right or to the left, but he is the wind in our sails and he is the one who is leading us and guiding us. Guys, we cannot fail. You know why? Because Jesus promises in the book of Matthew, Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. 
when we see Jesus clearly and he is the one who is leading us and we intentionally follow after him, all the powers of hell don't stand a chance against us. Guys, we have nothing to fear. Because no matter what happens in this life, Jesus is on the throne. Amen. Thank you. And I believe our culture needs that now more than ever. First church, this is our time. This is when we're needed the most. This is our greatest moment. You turn on the news, you look up stories online, and all you hear is negative stuff. I mean, people hear the word COVID and they just cringe, you know? In the midst of all this negativity, what if we brought some joy into the sadness of earth? Because I believe that's why we're here. I believe the church exists as a place where the joy of heaven meets the sadness of earth. I believe we're here so that the joy of heaven invades people's lives through us. So what if we took a negative and we turned it into a positive? What if we shined our light, Jesus' light, in the midst of the darkness? What if we took that word COVID and we flipped it upside down? See, I want to challenge us to do something. It's a special challenge just for this season. As of this morning, there have been 2,535 documented cases of COVID-19 in the five communities that we draw the most people from in our church. What if we matched all of those cases of COVID with a deliberate act of kindness, with a deliberate act of love? Now, I get it. That's not going to abolish COVID or get rid of COVID-19. I get that. But what if in the midst of all this sadness, we unleash some joy? So this is what I want to challenge our church to do. Over the next three weeks, during the time of this series, I want to challenge our church to match and even exceed the documented cases of COVID-19 with acts of kindness and love. And if you need some help knowing what to do, here's an acronym that can help you. We're going to put this up on our uh, social media pages and all that. You can see it later. But you can commit to praying for someone by name. Don't just pray for people in general. Find someone who's hurting right now and pray for them by name every single day over the next three weeks. Offer financial help to someone in need. Right now, our economy isn't good and people are losing jobs. If you could help out somebody financially, do it. Volunteer to serve a neighbor. Mow your neighbor's yard. Pick up groceries for them. Do something to help out the people who are living right beside you. Invest in someone who feels isolated. Right now, there are a lot of people who feel isolated. Maybe it's a senior adult. Maybe it's a healthcare worker or a first responder. I don't know, but find somebody who feels isolated alone right now. And invest in them. And, or D, just dream up your own act of love, whatever that may be. Just create your own act of love. We can do this. We can do these things. And what if after three weeks, uh, we don't just match the 2,500 number that was up here, but we double that or triple that? What if we brought joy into the midst of all this sadness that we're seeing every single day? I think that's what we're here to do.
So I want to challenge you to do that. And as you do these acts of kindness, there's a place on our website, there's a place on our app that you can go to and you can document acts of kindness. You don't have to put down what you did. Just say, I did two acts of kindness today or I did one today or whatever. You can put those in. And after three weeks, we're going to go back and check on this. And wouldn't it be awesome if we not only match one for one the case of COVID, but we exceeded that by showing people love in Jesus' name. That's what I want to challenge you to do because here's the thing. We've been given the greatest news of all time. It's a news of hope in the midst of hopelessness. It's a news of love in the midst of hate. It's a news of peace that passes understanding. It's a news of purpose in the midst of aimlessness. It's the news that can change people's lives, that can change people's eternity. We've been given the greatest news of all time, and that news is not meant to be hid under a bed, and it's not meant to be kept on a shelf. It's meant to be unleashed. First church, this is our time. Let's go unleash love, God's love, like never before. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. And I thank you for this chance we had to meet together as your church family, either online or in person. And Father, I just want to pray that we carry out the mission that you have given to us, even in the midst of these difficult times. And I pray a big prayer today. I pray that it is said of us that we love like Jesus in a way like we never had before, and that that love stands out. May we rock this world with the love of Jesus. Father, empower us as we intentionally serve you. In the name of Jesus, our King, I pray. Amen.